Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Pat Prescott for This Lady Loves Sports. Jackie Robinson is not only one of the most important figures in Major League Baseball. He's also one of the most important figures in the civil rights movement. Today we talk about his incredible story and the celebration of the 100th anniversary of his birth with his daughter, Sharon Robinson. Welcome to This Lady Loves Sports Podcast with Pat Prescott. Sports, she knows it all and is here to talk about it. So get ready to hear sports talk in a way that you've never heard before. It's This Lady Loves Sports Podcast. And here's your host, Pat Prescott. Years ago, I had the honor and the privilege to meet the Robinson family at their home in Connecticut because they love music. And so do I. And I had a chance to meet Sharon Robinson then, and we started a friendship that has lasted over the years. And I'm so excited to have her on This Lady Loves Sports. You know I love sports, and I know that Sharon does as well for many, many good reasons. How you doing? Uh, I'm wonderful, and I do love sports. <laughs> well, in she, general. <laughs> in general, and in particular, too. And uh, yes. Sharon, of course, is the daughter of the late Jackie Robinson, the first African-American to play Major League Baseball in the modern era. Such a great legacy that your dad had. When, when did you realize that your dad was famous? Well, we knew it, Pat, because everywhere we went in public, people came up to tell stories or get his autograph. So we certainly had a sense of it. And in our home in Stanford, Connecticut, as you remember, we had a trophy room, and every time we went to had to go to our playroom, which was on the other side of the trophy room, we had to walk through it. So it was a, a constant memory. <laughs> but you know, I you know it, and then you don't really understand it until you're much older. Yeah, so and you he, know that he was a great baseball player, but it always worried me that they traded him or they wanted to trade him. So I was well, used to wonder is he was he really good? <laughs> you know. Because um, because for you, he was daddy. I mean, I've seen yeah. so many uh, photos of the two of you and that photo that if you're lucky enough to have had a great father in your life, I'm sure you've got one yeah. somewhere where daddy's holding you and your legs are, <laughs> are like trailing along the side of yes. him. I love that picture. And oh, it, it just speaks volumes of, of the love between you. What was your dad like? Talk about him as a father and, and not as this this great legend that all of us know. Well, you know, it, it, my relationship with him was always easy. He was he gave unconditional love to me. And, you know, where my mother had great expectations and I was always going in the wrong direction in dance class or not playing my chords right on the piano. You know, my, I could go to my dad, you know, whatever I did was, was fine and wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone needs that, you know. He was the good cop. Huh? He was the good cop. With me. And, and then they switched order with the, with the boys, you know. <laughs> but what I loved about him, Pat, is how he brought us into the movement. And he did it through the jazz concerts that we did at our home that you came to and emceed and 
help produce. So those were very important to our development as people that had a, had a role in the movement that was, even though we lived in Stanford, Connecticut, we at least were helping to raise money for Dr. King and other civil rights leaders. And that was very important to my overall development. And yeah, for people who don't know about those concerts, uh, Jackie Robinson Afternoon of Jazz, they had them at the house and they just mm-hmm. got too big for the house and then they had to move them to a park. We've done some here on the West Coast as well. Wonderful but ones, but yeah. these these events kind of combined, I think, your dad's love of music and the arts and jazz in particular and mm-hmm. also a need to bring people together around the civil rights movement because he was very deliberate in a lot of what he did, wasn't he? Yes. So when he retired from baseball, he became a fund. In addition to working for Chocolate Nuts, he was um, a fundraiser for the NAACP initially, traveled the country raising money for them, and then he started also raising money for SCLC, Dr. King, and he would, whenever there was a crisis in the movement, they would call on him to come down and, and support it, um, particularly the bombings of the churches. My dad, uh, Dr. King, had my dad spearhead the national uh, fundraising for the, when the churches were bombed in Albany, Georgia, and, and con- he continued with that, you know, throughout Dr. King's era with the movement. But in 1963, Pat, you know, he said, okay, I've been traveling south and you guys have been doing your work in the north because we integrated our schools in Stanford, Connecticut in our neighborhood. But he said he wanted us to kind of bring this together and actually have a family legacy and a family mission. And so our first concert was in, uh, jazz concert was in 1963, right after the Children's March in Birmingham, Alabama. And that was in June. And Dr. King didn't actually come to that one, but he came to the one we had just after the March on Washington. in in September of 1963. So, you know, jazz music was a love of both my parents, not just just my dad, but both my parents. One of the things, too, that has always made those events so special uh, when we had them was uh, the presence of the Jackie Robinson scholars, thousands of them now who are just doing amazing things around the world and who always participate in that event. That was always my favorite part of it, Sharon, when we would trot the scholars across the stage and they would say their name and where they went to school and what their major was going to be and always something so inspirational and something that made the whole thing just so worthwhile. Yeah, Pat. Well, we started the concerts as a a fundraiser for the movement. And after my dad died and uh, mom and friends formed the Jackie Robinson Foundation, we then started having annual concerts for the Jackie Robinson Foundation. So you're correct. It was really special when the scholars would tell their story and, and parade across the stage and, you know, just helped sell tickets, helped do raffles. You know, we had them out with the public quite a bit. You know, people still pack, come up to uh, to us and say, well, what about the <laughs> jazz concert? You know, everybody misses it, including us. <laughs> I know when, when you guys um, sold the house, sold it to yes. Kashif, the musician, yes. he continued to do the concerts there for a while, too, keeping the legacy going. So many people really felt a part of this movement because of their involvement in those in those shows. I know we did. Absolutely. Now I was wondering when you Special were time. yeah when you were just a little girl and and your dad was playing baseball and you know his struggles were well documented all the things that he mm-hmm. went through and in in uh, documentaries and motion pictures about his life books and and all of that but I wonder as a little child how much you were really aware of what your dad was going through didn't know at, um, anything about it when we were young I was born three years after he broke in. 
So the, the critical early years, first three years, um, Jackie was around, but we were not. And then even when we were, it was too much for mom to take all three of us to the ballpark. So Jackie went to some games with her and David and I, you know, attended a couple of games, but it wasn't like, you know, something we did as a family. What we did as a family was to go to the spring training, which why, which is why I guess Florida has always been important to me. Because every winter we would come down here for him to have spring training. And even as a little girl, I didn't appreciate that it was a baseball time so much. I thought it was a, a time we'd get to go swimming. So, so. <laughs> <laughs> so you really, uh, Pat, you know, the first time I saw the Jackie Robinson story, um, I was actually in day, care, day, day camp. Mm-hmm. And I was the only black kid in day camp. And that was my first view, you know, I was eight or nine and I saw for the first time racism and and being directed at my dad. So it was a very difficult awakening because I didn't know what it said about the world I lived in. Since my neighborhood was predominantly white, my schools schools were white, you know, I didn't know what to do with that information. And I was, you know, traumatized by it and also exhilarated by it because I saw my dad, in spite of that pressure, perform. Right. You know, I saw him him running bases and stealing bases and hitting the... So all of that, you know, made me feel very proud of him. And yet it still uh, made me wonder what were those early years about. And I didn't ask him about those years until I was in college. I was at Howard University. And what was that conversation like? It was special because, we, you know, we were losing my dad. And that was, you know, although I wasn't totally conscious of it, I knew he was, you know, in and out of the hospital and not well. And so I wanted to hear from him, you know, some of the experiences. And I remember asking him, oh, if this was a segregated ballpark, where would the black people be sitting? And I mean, just, you know, just wanting to kind of begin to understand it in a way that I hadn't wanted to as a child. And it was it was a, a good, good conversation. Um, but it was, I think it helped that we were at a ballpark because it wasn't an emotional conversation. It was more about, tell us about this or what did that mean? How did that feel? And that always stayed with me as a special time with dad, a special conversation with him during a time when he was being honored at the 25th anniversary of him breaking the color barrier. So it was already a time that we were recognizing him for, you know, breaking down segregation in baseball and you know I was a student held so now it was it meant so much more to me exactly and it became relevant to you it's it's funny how like as you get older you know your parents become these other people who you start to learn mm-hmm. about it seems like so often and I would imagine in your case your mom and dad did a lot to shelter you all from a lot of the difficult things they did and even people that would come up and acknowledge dad you know you didn't hear discussions about the hard time you just heard about what a great player he was so yeah we were definitely sheltered from the racism we didn't know nothing about that. The hate letters or the death threats. None of that was part of our family conversation. Well, you mentioned uh, losing your dad and realizing that at that time that he was really ill. You were kind of saying goodbye to him slowly. Talk about yeah. sharing that grief with the world. You know, I lost my dad when I was 19 and oh, he was like my yeah. hero, the center yeah. of my world. And um, I can only imagine what that must have huh. been for you to have to share that grief with everyone. It was very, very difficult, Pat. It was one of the... Um, and I and it it was so difficult that I didn't even accept that he had died for, for years after that. 
And finally, every like every anniversary, whether it was his birthday or the anniversary of his death, I would, you know, my mother would find me crying, and she's like, "Well, you know, why don't you do something about it? Why, you know, what do you want to do?" So that's when we had that. Um, I said I want to do a, a tribute to him, and I guess because his death was so public, I decided I had to do a public. You know, I kind of had learned from my childhood that one of the ways we handled things that were difficult was by having these musical events. And I decided I, my dad loved Oh Happy Day, <laughs> the, the gospel song Oh Happy Day. Mm-hmm. He would play it over and over on his like, on the, the, the little, what was that eight track? What was that thing in the we put in our cars back? Then? <laughs> uh, yeah, that was an eight track. <laughs> I didn't know and you were so that you old, would, Sharon. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but we would get in the car with him and, you know, a long drive. And we always had to start off with, oh, happy day. You know? so, That's a great I way to start to out. A, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to do a jazz concert. So we had this amazing jazz concert in New York City. And for me, it was the beginning of my coming out of the denial and the grief and, you know, just saying, you know, he w- he was a public man, but he, will, and he was also my dad. And I'm, I'm very protective of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I write so many books about our family stories, because I feel like public people write about him, but I want them to understand that there is this consistency in the man, you know, in terms of what kind of father he was, was consistent with the positive image, you know, most of the world had of him and the lessons he taught me and how important they've been in my adult years, even though I lost him when I was so young. So I'm sure one of the projects you're really excited about right now is the new museum. Tell us about that. Well, Pat, we we intend to open the Jackie Robinson Museum in this centennial birthday year. So our date is December, and we're very excited. It's going to be a 20,000-square-foot space in lower Manhattan, and it's going to be an educational tool as well as a look back, and we're going to have an area for researchers um, and also for bringing people in to talk about race, to talk about Jackie Robinson, to talk about baseball. So it's going to be an exciting venue and a beautiful tribute to my dad. We can't wait to go. I saw the tribute that they had at the African-American American Museum in uh, Washington, D.C. And, you know, I thought at the time, this could be a museum on its own. It is going to be. And, you know, it's really cool. One of the things we're doing in this year is partnering with Spike Lee on some projects. And so when we had our meeting with him, he said, oh, well, you know, I can, I'm going to donate my Do the Right Thing Jackie Robinson Aww. jersey. We were like, really? <laughs> well, you know, we, we were stunned. We didn't know what to say. Can, can we put that in writing right now? You know? <laughs> so it will have some special items in it. My, my brother and I have gone through Mom's Attic and found some things, some real treasures. Um, so we're, we're thrilled that the museum will open this year. Yeah. You know, people talk so much about your dad, too. I want to talk a little bit about your mom, who I just think is a woman of steel and velvet, just a remarkable person (laughs) with such resilience. And I got to tell you, I love the friendship that the two of you have. It's a beautiful thing. (laughs) Oh, God. You know, Pat, that because you know how mothers and daughters are, you know, Mm -hmm. we both try to we wanted to just forget adolescence. And finally, (laughs) we had to have a discussion about it in order to get past it and be friends. (laughs) She blamed me. I blamed her, you know, so so I was like, okay, let's just, we got to get beyond this. Yeah, Um, I always tell my mother, the older I get, the smarter she gets, right? (laughs) Some of that stuff's starting to make sense to me now. It makes sense. I know it. I know it. So now, and it's so important now because, you know, now she's 96. And so I've, I've had my own challenges with 
heart problems. And I have to say, Mom, you know I cannot push you in that wheelchair. And she'll go, oh, yes, you can. You know? <laughs> oh, so what if you just got a pacemaker? You know? <laughs> push that wheelchair. No, we're going with the walker today. You know? <laughs> um, but we can joke about things and we can, uh, you know, she feels like she can talk to me about how she feels about aging and how difficult it is. And I can, you know, respond. And, and I still have to sneak around and make arrangements for, you know, for services for her, you know, without telling her. So I'll call my, I called one of my cousins. I said, who's a CPA? And I said, do you have time to take on mom's finances? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> she said, yes. I said, would you call her and tell her you have this extra time? Is there anything you want me to do? And that's how we got that service work. Because if I had just said, Mom, we need to get somebody to do this. I got this. You know, she would have <laughs> said, no way. <laughs> uh, and you, now she thinks it's her idea, so it works. So. I hear you. You know, sometimes I think that when you experience traumatic loss early on, it makes you uh-huh. deal with with death in a healthier way moving forward. I know, you know, we we talk about it a lot as well. And I just think it's a, a good thing to do because we are still alive now. And let's utilize yeah. that time in a way that, that shows that we recognize that this is not, you know, infinite. It's not infinite. I, well, I certainly had that challenge when my son died, Pat, you know. He, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And he knew he was dying and he and I talked about it. And um, I remember when he finally called, he I was in Japan and he said, you know, mom, I, I'm, I'm ready. I just don't want to leave my daughter. And I, and I was able to say to him, you know, we, you know, we will watch out for her and, and she'll, mm. you know, she's got a great mom. And so it, it didn't help when he died. It didn't, you know, make it less hard, but in a way um, I knew that, like you said, we had to go on. I had to, it was Halloween and those kids had their Halloween costumes for months. I had to take them out and hot trick-or-treating, you know, give them, you know, right away, give them some normalcy uh, in, uh, you know, kind of help them learn that we have to get back up, you know, and we have to keep going. Yeah. Lessons learned from your dad and your mom and uh, from, from, from a life pretty well lived of your own. And I want to talk a little bit about some of the things that you've been doing, but first, just to uh, go Go back to a celebration and then talk about the one that is to come. I was thrilled when Major League Baseball started doing the April 15th uh, celebration for your dad with everybody wearing those number 42s. What did you think the first time you saw that? I could not believe it. It was so cool. And it was, you know, when they line, when they did the lineup, you know, it all stood out there with 42 on their back. That is really special. And then, you know, since then, you know, really after the movie, when the movie 42 came out, Pat, mm-hmm. players and coaches, they all came up to me like, you know, I had no idea. I mean, I thought I understood, but now I get it. You know, so it even made the uh, celebration all the more special because, you know, they really did understand history in a different kind of way. And that's part of what we're, you know, we're trying to do with this centennial year is to help the younger people understand the importance of that history and how it still applies to them today and and how they can use the lessons to you know, deal with the challenges we have in 2019. And it is going to be an incredible celebration. The, the 100th celebration that Sharon refers to 
is what would have been Jackie's 100th birthday. And there's going to be a big concert that's going to be happening right here in Los Angeles. And let's talk a little bit about that because we are super excited about returning to the campus of UCLA, going to Royce Hall on February the 5th with some of music's top jazz recording artists, celebrities from the worlds of film, television, and sports, all gathering to celebrate the 100th birthday of Jackie Robinson. Well, we're very excited. I think the fact that it's going to be at UCLA is, was the draw that got Mom to say, yes, I'll come. You know? <laughs> she has such love for UCLA. She and Dad met and fell in love and, and both, gra- you know, well, she graduated um, from there and my dad left the second semester of his senior year. So, it, you know, it's got an enormous history to our family and love and, and devotion and and UCLA has has given that back to us in many ways. Throughout the campus, you there are reminders that you know my dad was first and foremost a four letter man on UCLA's campus. So it's pretty exciting. It is very exciting, and I know that the organizers were talking about how special they feel it's going to be that your mom is going to be sitting just feet away from where she first met Jack. Isn't that amazing? Incredible. <laughs> How's that um, for and, full and circle? five days before her, <laughs> you know, their anniversary, because their anniversary is on the 10th. So it's in between his actual birthday and their their anniversary. So it will be a special time. It will be a wonderful evening. I know that there are going to be numbers of, uh, a number of luminaries will be there. The music is going to be spectacular. Jeff Lorber is going to be the musical director for the evening. Arturo Sandoval, one of the confirmed artists who are going to be there. Oh, great. And how awesome to bring together UCLA, music, the world of sports and entertainment, all in (laughs) honor of this great man. It's incredible. Um, (laughs) Really looking forward to it, Pat. (laughs) And I got to tell you, Sharon, I'm so proud of you that you've, you've chosen to live your life kind of following your father's ideals and furthering his message. Right now, uh, Sharon is the educational consultant for Major League Baseball. She manages barriers in sports and life. It's a baseball-themed national character education curriculum. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, Pat, you must remember I was a nurse midwife for the first 25 years of my life. So I was blessed to have had two amazing, well, actually three amazing careers. Yeah, in my because life. you're a writer, so, too. <laughs> I'm a writer, too. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So now for the past 22 years, I've been with Major League Baseball. And, you know, Pat, we developed a program uh, that helps kids deal with obstacles or barriers in their own lives. And we give them values that I associate with my dad's success on and off the field and help them understand what types of barriers they're going to be facing because we feel like, you know, everybody will face barriers, whether, you know, at at nine, you don't even realize yet you're facing barriers or at nine, you are overcome with, you know, the numbers of barriers you have to face in your life. And then they write an essay about a barrier they've had to overcome and, and how the values have helped them get past that level. And we honor them at the World Series and at the um, the younger ones come to the all one comes to the All Star game and the older the older one, ninth seventh and ninth graders come to the World Series. And so this past year, for example, Pat, we had a young woman who uh, was born in Eritrea and she and her brother walked one year to get from Eritrea a loop through Sudan back into Ethiopia where they were able to get on a plane and meet their mother in the United States. And I mean, just an incredible journey with this 
um, young, the girl was five at the time and her brother was 10. So he's now gone, gone off to college and she is in going into high school. She was an incredible young woman and, and told the story in a way that we could all you know, feel the, the pain, the difficulty and the triumph. And then we had an older um, winner was a ninth grader who was born with uh, underdeveloped arms. And in his essay, he described how he had this really bad fall, broke his clavicle, and he had learned how to write using the phalanges that come off of the part of his arm that is developed. And when he fell, he could no longer, you know, manage to use his right, he calls them his nub. Um, so he had, he said, I took a day off from school so I could learn how to write with my left one. I mean, that wow. was just kind of the attitude wow. and the, so, you know, Pat, he was actually, not only was, was he honored at the World Series, but he was also ABC's person of the week. So he's really an incredible kid and partly because he was adopted by a family that um, told him, you know, you are no different than all the other kids and you will have chores and, and responsibilities and, and we have, you know, family expectations. So it was just, and lots and lots of love. So um, incredible incredible work over these past 22 years. I love meeting the children. I visit them in their schools and bring them prizes and laptops and all kinds of prizes. And it's just been a way to merge my nursing background with my love for baseball and, um, you know, link these two um, with my dad's history. And so it's it has it's, it's a labor of love, Pat. You've recorded a lot of that history. It also inspired a lot of people, young and old, as well, with the books that you have written. <laughs> I have bought Jackie's gift for a oh, number of people. I just think it is the most wonderful. I always give it to someone at Christmas time. You oh, know, it's it's, it's a true story of Christmas and Hanukkah. <laughs> oh, Lovely. Well, I, have a, I have a new one coming out uh, next September. September. Uh. 2019, and it is about 1963. So I turned 13 in 1963, and so it has all of the angst of a uh, you know a 13 <laughs> year old you know who already starting to be a little bit rebellious. I you know I had a horse. My brother and I shared a horse, and my mother had said you know don't ride a bareback, but of course I preferred to ride ride him bareback. And so you know <laughs> you know the day I fall, you off, knew best. <laughs> I learned another lesson, you know. But anyway, then it also shows how we, you know, developed this family mission, including the jazz concerts and and went on the March on Washington as a family. So um, I think it's going to be, uh, you know, a really special look at our family. And uh, at the same time, you see, you know, a couple of little 13-year-olds who are, dealing with uh, racism and integration and, and dancing all at the same time. Oh, that's cool. Well, we must talk about yeah. that when the book comes out. I also wanted to mention Promises to Keep, which is a wonderful oh, thing. And, and I'm sure the fulfillment of many promises you've made yourself, you know, Absolutely. to your dad and to your family. And, and I know you've seen the impact of his legacy on so many people. I wanted you to, to I wanted to close with... Um, what lessons do you see young people learning from sports in general and from your father's legacy in particular? Well, I think a number of things. One is has certainly got to be um, the importance of developing self-confidence and finding um, what you're good at and excelling at that, really, really working to be excellent at it. And that also
also helps with your self-confidence. Um, the other thing is, you know, we, what we learn from sports, which is so critical, particularly baseball, is, you know, how we have to work together with people that are different than us and have different skills in order to make a strong team. Um, and that's, you know, whether you're talking about a one-on-one relationship or a relationship with yourself or a relationship with your God, whatever it is, you know, we have to have a relationship, be able to, to maintain relationships. So I think it's something um, we learn from sports. The other thing is that it's multi-generational because if a child is playing a sport, their parents are involved, their grandparents are involved. And, you know, that's something we carry throughout our life, you know, a love for sport, whether we're watching it or participating in it. Sports allows us to get out of the house, move our bodies and, you know, develop strength, physical strength, which is so critical um, for all phases of life. It's so important. You know, I tell you, sports has given us many great heroes. Your dad is certainly one of them. And when you look at the impact that he has had on his own immediate family, I cannot tell you how proud I I am of you and the work that you continue to do along with your mom and your brothers. You're amazing. And I'm sorry you've honored to have you to talk to us today. Thank you so much. (laughs) It was a pleasure.